Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome in to another episode of Sports Court. Hopefully you're having an amazing start to your Wednesday. Looking forward to the back half of the week just as much as I am. We have a lot to dive into today. Very busy show. So without any further ado, don't want to waste any more of your time on the intro. Thank you once again so much for being here. Let's go ahead and dive right into it because I know that for many of you back at work following a very long extended weekend, so Once again, thank you so much for taking just a few minutes out of your day to listen to another brand new episode on Friday. You know how we like to do on our Friday episodes going into the weekend. I'm going to give you a rundown of what to watch for this upcoming weekend as it pertains to the world of sports. So be on the lookout for that on Friday. So let me go ahead and set today's show up for you and then we're going to dive right into it. I have opening thoughts coming up momentarily. There is still continued fallout coming from the Chris Paul trade to the Washington Wizards. He had some comments about that on Monday that I want to dive into. Draymond Green has declined his player option for the 2023-24 season. I will tell you what that means, and I'll give you my thoughts on that as well. Stephon Diggs, there's still problems brewing in Buffalo. I'll give you my thoughts on that as well. I also want to dive a little bit deeper into comments that Nick Saban made to Joel Klatt as it pertains to the college football playoff and their selection process. Why does Nick Saban continue to bring up the past if we're always told to look towards the future? I give you my thoughts on that as well. I'm going to continue the series previewing the SEC schedule for 2024, which honestly, after doing it on Monday's episode, I thought to myself yesterday, It feels a little counterintuitive to be doing this a year early, but once again, got to look to the future. You can't look to the past, so we're going to continue that as well. And I also have key games for NFL week number 16 coming up towards the end of the episode. And finally, at the conclusion of today's episode, you know how we like to do it, final verdict on a Wednesday. So just sit back, enjoy yourself, and strap in because we have a lot to discuss today. That is your show breakdown. Once again, if you want to get in contact with the podcast, you know how to do that. Email will be down in the show notes. And all of you that are listening, once again, thank you so much. I cannot stress that enough how grateful I am for you to be listening to me 
once again, because out of all of the options that you have for sports podcasts, those of you that chooses to listen to me out of all of the other options that you have makes me so grateful and makes me even more hungrier to continue to do this. So once again, thank you so much. Let's go ahead and dive into today's show. want to get you out of here in under an hour today, if I can refrain from rambling. So let's try to set that goal for today for me to get you out of here in under an hour. All right, so let me get started with my opening thoughts. So we know in sports that there is no loyalty. And it feels as though in life itself over the past few years, loyalty is starting to become a very scarce commodity in today's society. So when you think about loyalty, you think of it as a way of making sure that people around you can always keep it real with you, as the saying go. Making sure that people can keep it all the way 100 with you, as the saying will go. And sometimes I think we lose in life a little bit of perception as it pertains to this loyalty factor that we hold so dear. So as I'm pretty sure you may well know, especially if you listen to the episode on Monday, Chris Paul is no longer a member of the Phoenix Suns. He's now a member for at least right now, the Washington Wizards. So Chris Paul was in New York City on Monday. First, he stopped by Good Morning America to promote his book. And then later in the day, he sat down with the New York Times. And Chris Paul unleashed on some details surrounding his trade to the Washington Wizards that would only be known to someone like Chris Paul and to the members of the Phoenix Suns organization and the members of the Washington Wizards organization. Those are the only people that could be privy to the things that Chris Paul spewed out on Monday morning. So first of all, Chris Paul goes on Good Morning America and breaks down the way in which he found out that he was going to be traded to the Wiz. And basically, he tells the Good Morning America crew that on the plane ride to New York, that's how he found out from his son via text message that he was going to become a member of the Washington Wizards. And I thought to myself, when I heard that, when I saw that, if you're the Phoenix Suns, that has to be very classless. We all understand that Chris Paul isn't the same player that he once used to be. I think we've seen that unravel itself in the past few years. He hasn't been the same player. But also, you guys had that little respect for Chris Paul that you decided that it would be in your best interest to send him or to let him find out via his son from a text message that he's no longer a member of the team. Now, I know what you may be saying. What if they did try to get in contact with Chris Paul? What if they did try to get in contact with his agent or his representation? I understand. But moves like that, when you're trading a player, I think it is in the best interest of the team and in the best interest of the player for the team to get in contact with the player specifically so that they know everything that's going on minute by minute, second by second. Because that's how a lot of things get lost in translation when you don't have open channels of communication. Just think about it in your own life for a second, sports coordination. When you have a lack of communication in a friendship, a relationship, a business deal, whatever the case may be, it sets up a very bad president that's always going to come back and circle back around when you least expect it. Lack of communication causes a lot of problems that could be alleviated if the channels were actually open instead of them being partially open. That's just like when you get up in the morning, you go and open up your miniature blinds in your house. You don't partially open them. You open them all the way so all the sun can come into your house. That's if you're somewhere where it's sunny right now. 
So I wanted to use this opening thoughts portion of today's episode to basically lay out the fact that the Phoenix Suns, this was very classless by them. Now, I know what you're saying. I know what you're getting at. It's a business. They have to do what's in the best interest of their team, and rightfully so. I'm not arguing against that. But for Chris Paul to find out that he's been traded on a plane ride to New York City by a text message from his son, that shows a lack of contrition on the part of the Phoenix Suns. And then when Chris Paul was sitting down with the New York Times, this is the quote that he gave as it pertains to who he thought may have been behind the trade itself. And I quote, I realized that Matt and Isaiah just wanted to go in a different direction. Now, for those of you who may be wondering who the Isaiah is, then you can look no further than to the same Isaiah Thomas that has been butthurt for the past couple of years as it pertains to his fractured relationship with Michael Jordan, due in large part to the fact that Isaiah wasn't included on the 1992 Dream Team that went over to Barcelona and won the gold medal. That Isaiah Thomas, the same Isaiah Thomas that also won two championships with the Detroit Pistons, the same Isaiah Thomas that was a abhorrent failure as the head coach of both the Indiana Pacers after Larry Bird stepped down and as the head coach of the New York Knicks. That Isaiah Thomas. That Isaiah Thomas that also went to FIU and didn't fare too well in the college game either. That's the same Isaiah Thomas that happens to be close friends with the new Suns owner, Matt Ishba. Now we can talk about Matt Ishba all day long because he's the owner and he's made it abundantly clear that he's willing to do anything that it takes to put this team in the right driver's seat to make it to the finals and not just make it this time, but actually win it. That's arguably the reason why they went out and obtained Bradley Beal for nothing but a bowl of soup and two crackers. That's basically why he made that move happen. Actually, soup and crackers isn't a bad combination if you think about it, but anyway. So Matt Ishba back in February said that Isaiah Thomas had no role on this team. He basically said that if Isaiah Thomas were to have a role on the team, that you could come to Ishba himself and he would tell you so. You don't have to go around looking at the tea leaves to figure out if Isaiah Thomas had a role on this team or not. And now, if Chris Paul is correct that Isaiah Thomas had a direct role in making this trade happen, Matt Ishba lied. And then the crazy thing about this whole situation is that you have a lot of people in sports media who are so appalled that Matt Ishba lied about Isaiah Thomas's role with the team. One of the things that we understand to be true in this life is that you can never 100% trust millionaires and billionaires. They'll lie to you. They'll lie to you more than a person who makes minimum wage. And I'm not trying to discourage people who make minimum wage. I'm not trying to discredit those people. But those people that keep it real with you more than a millionaire or a billionaire. Because at the end of the day, billionaires only have to protect their money. You and I have to protect everything that we work so hard to obtain. So why is it so surprising that Matt Ishba lied about Isaiah Thomas's role with the team? And then now, after the trade comes out, ESPN reports that Matt Ishba is working on making sure that Isaiah Thomas has a role with the team. You may as well just put him in charge of basketball ops, because if he was the one that helped facilitate this trade, then he's the de facto GM at this point. So I say all that to say this to drive the point back home. There is no loyalty in sports. And anybody who told you that there was, they're lying to you. Because things like this happens on a daily basis. 
players find out from a myriad of different sources that they're no longer employed by their current employer. I remember one time, and I can't remember the player that this actually was involving, but he found out that he was being traded by turning on the TV and watching it on SportsCenter. Just imagine how how cynical you happen you have to be as a sports franchise where you don't inform a player that they're no longer part of your team. Just let that sink in for a second. You you don't have the courtesy of informing your player himself that you guys are getting rid of him. He has to find out from a sports show. But that's where we're at right now. There is no loyalty in sports. And loyalty is becoming a scarce commodity amongst the society in itself. How many real friends do you have remaining? I'm just throwing that question out on a limb. How many real friends do you have? How many friends can you turn to in a moment of crisis? How many of those friends can you share your deepest secrets with and you know that they will never tell another living soul? That's how scarce loyalty is becoming in this world of ours. So Chris Paul had to find out the hard way that there's no loyalty in sports. He even said it. The Suns owe him nothing except for an, except for a proper phone call. I think that that was be warranted because you guys were so hell bent on getting rid of him. So why not inform him that you're getting rid of him? But once again, it's sports, it's life. And at the end of the day, don't know if you've really noticed this as of late sports coordination, but it feels as though the world in which we're living in is becoming a dog-eat-dog world. You have to fend for yourself because nobody's going to be out there holding it down with you unless you've been knowing them for a hell of a long time. So Phoenix fan, I've been talking to you a lot these past couple of days. We have a very heavy listening audience in the Phoenix area. I thank you for that. We all knew, you guys even included in this, you guys knew, Phoenix area, Scottsdale, the entire state of Arizona, you guys knew that Chris Paul wasn't what he used to be. And many of you guys were the ones that were saying that it may be time to move away from Chris Paul and get younger or get better or bring in someone else, which ultimately the Suns did by bringing in Bradley Beal, once again for soup and crackers. So let me ask you a question before we move on. If we truly look at this from the perspective in which we should be looking at it from, what happens now? Because we know that the Washington Wizards are going to be looking to ship Chris Paul somewhere else to a contender, according to Chris Haynes. And also it was reported yesterday that Kyle Kuzma declined his player option for this upcoming season but there's a possibility that a reworked deal could be in the works for Kyle Kuzma to stay in Washington. So a lot of interesting decisions right now. But to get back to my original point, Chris Paul had to find out the hard way that loyalty does not exist in pro sports. Loyalty does not, I won't say it doesn't exist in life, but we're starting to get to a point to where you have to go high and far to find true loyalty in today's society. That's just the way it is now. Can it get better? Yeah. Will it get better? 
I think that that's a question that remains to be answered. And those were my opening thoughts for today. I want to quickly mention something that I wanted to bring up to you guys today. So I'm pretty sure most of you out there have heard of the Pivot Podcast, hosted by Ryan Clark, Shannon Crowder, Fred Taylor. Recently, those guys did an episode with Notre Dame head football coach Marcus Freeman. And usually I don't recommend things that I watch to you guys because the majority of the time we're watching the same thing, especially if you're a sports fan. But if you haven't taken the opportunity to learn Marcus Freeman's story or learn the route in which he took to get to Notre Dame, or if you're just a Notre Dame football fan in general, I think that interview that he did with those guys was one of the best interviews I've watched in a very long time. So once again, if you're looking for it, the Pivot Podcast, the same way in which you're listening to this podcast right now, and it's also on YouTube. I just really enjoyed that interview. Coach Freeman, I'll tell you this. If I could go back in time, and if I could go and play college ball somewhere, I think I would want to play for Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame because the way in which he uses his coaching style and the way he uses how he's grown up in life to bring and balance into his coaching career, it's just one of those things where you say to yourself, I would run through a brick wall for that guy. And there aren't a lot of coaches out there that you can look at and say, I'll run through a brick wall for that guy. So once again, if you're just looking for something to watch or if you're just looking for an interview that's insightful, inspirational, if you want to call it that, the Pivot Podcast's interview with Notre Dame head football coach Marcus Freeman is out there right now. Very great interview that he did with those guys. Very great podcast, by the way. I like their podcast. Okay, so let's dive into some topics for today. I mentioned it at the top of the show. So let me tell you how I found this out. So Monday, get finished with the pod, decide to go on my merrily way to do whatever it is that I need to get done on a Monday. Later in the day, maybe two, three hours after I finish this podcast, news breaks that Draymond Green is declining his player option for 23-24, million. So naturally, you ask yourself, what does this mean? Does it mean that he's looking for a better deal with Golden State or will he test free agency and land somewhere else? A lot of people have been asking this question and this question basically being what can Draymond Green provide for the Golden State Warriors now? Now we all know that Draymond Green isn't the same player that he used to be. At one point in time, Draymond Green was the best defender in the NBA. A lot of people still think that he is. A lot of people have went and found another person that may be the best defensive player in the NBA. But Draymond Green is 33 years old, and he spent the entirety of his NBA career as a member of the Golden State Warriors, winning four championships with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson with head coach Steve Kerr. So naturally, he's become a fan favorite, and... He's also built a name for himself outside of the game of basketball. He also has a podcast as well. So if you listen to the Warriors brass, Mike Dunleavy, who's just been named GM, and if you listen to Joe Lacob, who's the co-owner of the team, 
they all want to work out some kind of deal to bring Draymond back. Because they've even said that without Draymond Green, this is a train that can't continue to roll into the station. The station being another NBA championship. Now, I want to go back a couple of episodes ago because I brought this up when it was announced that Mike Dunleavy Jr. was about to get ready and take this job to become the new GM of the Golden State Warriors. I said this, and if you remember correctly, I think I said it exactly like this. I said, I do not envy Mike Dunleavy Jr. because he's going to have to make some big decisions in the coming months. Now, I didn't expect it to be the coming days. I knew that in a few months, he was going to have to make some decisions that could vastly alter the look of the Golden State Warriors. One of them happening to be, what do you do with Draymond Green and has his relationship with Jordan Poole fractured this team down the seam? Because there were reports out there that during the course of the season, the young guys were pitted against the older guys. That basically became like a war within itself amongst the team. Now, there's been several sightings of Draymond Green being spotted out with LeBron James over in France. A lot of people are looking at that saying that's Draymond Green indicating that he may sign with the Los Angeles Lakers or they're just out together because they happen to be a part of Clutch Sports, which is ran by Rich Paul, LeBron's business agent and a close friend. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overplayed by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What I would have to say about this is very simple. I don't want to take too long on this because I don't want to sit here and speculate on things that we don't know to be sure of yet. When I think of Draymond Green, I think of him being a very integral part to Golden State's success. But when I also look at Draymond Green at this very second in his career, we're not talking about the same player from back in 2015 until around 2019 in that time frame. I've also said on numerous occasions, whether talking to friends or whether on this pod, that if you were to ask me, is Draymond Green a Hall of Famer, I would have to say he is. Because that's just the level of talent that he's brought to that team. He's not going to give you a lot as it pertains to scoring. But if you need a defensive stop, Draymond Green's your guy. So at the end of the day, if we think about what's next for him, I think that he will return to the Golden State Warriors. I think that they will work out a deal so that he can return and help the team. Now that also puts you in a very interesting situation. Because a couple of days ago, it was also reported that Draymond Green and Jordan Poole were willing to hash out their problems and were willing to work together 
for the team's ultimate goal. And I've always found that funny. I don't know if you have either sports coordination. When people say that they're willing to work out their difference for the betterment of the team or for the betterment of the job, doesn't necessarily mean that they go back to liking each other. It just means that, hey, as long as we're at work, we'll put on this persona like we care about each other. But after work, I go back to hating him. He goes back to talking about me around his wife. That's pretty much what this means. But all I have to say is this. If Draymond Green returns to the Golden State Warriors, which I think he will, you have to ask yourself, where does it go from there as it pertains to the team? Will this team be in the same conversation of winning a title again that they found themselves in time after time? Because you have a lot of people out here that will tell you that the Golden State Golden State Warriors window, say that fast five times, their window is slowly closing. I don't believe that to be the case. I believe that their window is still half cracked. As long as you have Steph, and if you can get more dependability out of Clay, and if those young guys continue to develop the way in which they should be developing, Jonathan Kaminga, Jordan Poole, Moses Moody, those guys, as long as they continue to develop, then you'll be a great team. Not saying that they're a bad team right now, but they will be an even better team that they are right now currently constructed. So I think that Draymond Green will return to the Warriors. And I think that they will work a deal out because they realize, love him or hate him, the Warriors have realized that Draymond Green is a very much needed part in helping them get to the championship and win it. That's how they've been successful in that stage of the season four times. So I think he returns. Speaking of return, Stefan Diggs returned to practice last week after missing one day. That created a buzz around the NFL world. That even caused head coach Sean McDermott to come out and said that he's very concerned or that he was very concerned about Stefan Diggs being absent from camp. With that being said, everybody wanted to know why. That was the biggest question that came out of Buffalo, that came from out of the NFL world as a whole. Why would Stefan Diggs miss minicamp? Now we finally know. So according to Bill Volian of the Boston Globe, ironic, right? A reporter from the New England area is reporting on a situation that has happened in Buffalo. Very ironic. So according to Bill Volian, Ben Volian, of the Boston Globe, Stefan Diggs reportedly is unhappy with his role in the team's offense and his voice in play calling. Sources told him. I've talked about this a couple of times. I haven't really shared with you guys my thoughts entirely on this issue on podcast, but that changes today. When I think of Stefan Diggs and I think of the Buffalo Bills, I think that they're slowly but surely becoming a team that could ultimately miss out on their opportunity to win a Super Bowl with the team the way in which it's currently constructed. Because when you take a look at the AFC in general, Ravens got Lamar Jackson back, added weapons for him. Nobody's doubting 
the firepower that the Kansas City Chiefs have, especially with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. That duo isn't going anywhere anytime soon. The Jets, Aaron Rodgers is up there. Miami, if Tua can stay healthy. Now you have Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Ramsey in your secondary. The Chargers, if they can start hot and stay hot, they could be a very viable threat. The Cincinnati Bengals, they aren't going anywhere. Cleveland, although a lot of people may not be high on Cleveland like I am, I think that Deshaun Watson with a full season under his belt, with a full offseason under his belt, I think that the Cleveland Browns could be a very sneaky dark horse team for 2023. But with all that being stated, the Buffalo Bills are slowly but surely missing out on their opportunity to capitalize on winning a Super Bowl with the talent that they currently possess. Listen, it's time to come to a very real realization when it comes to Josh Allen. I'm not trying to say that Josh Allen isn't that guy because that would be a very blasphemous opinion coming out of my mouth. Josh Allen has proven that he is one of the more elite quarterbacks in today's game. But Josh Allen is also an elite quarterback that has flaws. Now let me stop because everybody on the face of this earth has flaws. Whether you choose to address them or not is your business. But everybody is a flawed individual on this earth. The problem that comes with all of this is that it feels as though Josh Allen is not only flawed in the regular season, but Josh Allen's flaws are exposed heavier during the course of the postseason. Now, you may look at what Stephon Diggs is frustrated at, and you may say to yourself, here he is just being another prima donna. This is the reason why Minnesota got rid of him because he didn't want to, didn't want to, let me paraphrase this, White. Because you're going to have those people that's going to say that's the reason why the Minnesota Vikings moved off of him because he was starting to become a prima donna here because he didn't want to put the team's goals ahead of his own goals. And honestly, if we're being real with ourselves, which wide receiver do you know besides Amari Cooper? What other star wide receiver do you know that's willing to put the team's needs ahead of his own? Because every wide receiver wants 100 catches, they want over 1,000 yards, they want double-digit touchdowns, they want to be named to the Pro Bowl, and they want to be first or second team All-Pro. That's basically every wide receiver every single year. Whether they tell you that out loud or not, that's every wide receiver. So the only thing I can say about Stephon Diggs and this Buffalo thing is that When he was verbally upset later into the game against Cincinnati in the playoffs, and he was yelling with Josh Allen, that showed you right there that there was starting to become some deterioration in their relationship. Because last week, Josh Allen got up to the podium and he spewed out how much he loves Stephon Diggs, how much, he ma- how much Stephon Diggs makes him a better quarterback. And Stephon Diggs is probably sitting at home saying, you know, if it wasn't for me, you may not be that great quarterback. Blasphemous take number two of the day. But if you're Buffalo, one of the things that we understand about championship teams is that they don't allow a lot of their in-team drama to get out into the media. 
That's basically where we're at. If you are a team with Super Bowl aspirations, you try your hardest to make sure that nobody outside of your locker room knows your team's dirty laundry. And now when you look at Buffalo, it's starting to become to a point where now you look at them and you say, here we go again, another season of talking about what if. And I know here on the podcast channel, we have some episodes of what if, which I actually need to start back doing because I enjoyed that as well. But a lot of people are now starting to ask the question when it pertains to Buffalo, what if they can get over the hump? What if they can make it to a Super Bowl? What if they can beat Kansas City? What if they can beat Cincinnati? Because for the past few years in the playoffs, Stephon Diggs has been visibly absent on the stat sheet. And that has caused him to look around and say, okay, if our goal is to make the Super Bowl, if I'm one of the playmakers, then why am I not getting the damn ball? We know how wide receivers think. This isn't new. Because you have people that are acting like this is the first time a wide receiver has ever voiced displeasure with his team or with his quarterback. Let's not forget Antonio Brown isn't that too far off into the distant history memory. Remember, Antonio Brown was visibly upset with Big Ben Roethlisberger, with the Steelers organization, with the Raiders. So this isn't new. So, of course, you have to ask yourself, what has led to this downward spiral if you're the Buffalo Bills offensively? I think it's very simple. I think you can chalk it up to one thing. When Brian Dayball was hired to become the head coach of the New York football Giants and Ken Dorsey was brought in to be the offensive coordinator, it felt as though Buffalo offensively started to go down from there. Because when Dayball was the offensive coordinator, Josh Allen had his statistical or had his best statistical season. Ken Dorsey steps in to become OC and Josh Allen it feels as though he started to regress. So when it's all said and done, this season, the Buffalo Bills are in a very unique position. Because if I remember correctly, we're heading into year number six of this Josh Allen, Sean McDermott experience in Buffalo. And if you're a fan of the Buffalo Bills, I know that you're getting to a point where you're saying, okay, we have the head coach, we have the quarterback, we have playmakers, why don't we have the Lombardis? At least those Bill teams back in the 1990s were making it to the Super Bowl. They may have lost four straight, but at least they made it. So why why do we possess all of this talent and yet every single year we fall short? I'm pretty sure Bill's Mafia is asking that question. Why do we continuously fall short every single year? You know, a lot of people don't want to admit it, but maybe Stefan Diggs is on to something. Once again, I'm not trying to say that Josh Allen isn't that guy because he's proven that he can be that guy. But if you ask somebody right now, who would you rather take? Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes? Josh Allen or Joe Burrow? 
Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson? Josh Allen or Deshaun Watson? Josh Allen or Justin Herbert? At some point or another, the Bills are going to have to put up or shut up. Infighting is not good for the team. Infighting is not good for the goals that you've set for your team. I'm pretty sure they tell themselves every single year, we have to get to the Super Bowl. Because if we don't, this season is an abhorrent failure. So if you're Buffalo, how do you include Stefan Diggs in the play calling? Now that's the only part of this thing that Ben Volian put out that I have a problem with. That Stefan Diggs feels as though his voice isn't being heard in the play calling. At last I checked, Ken Dorsey's the offensive coordinator, so he's the one that calls the plays. And I don't honestly see why he's so upset about the play calling because last season, if you look, he had a, a hundred and three catch, he had hundred and eight catches for over fourteen hundred yards and eleven touchdowns. So obviously he was the best best receiver on the team last season. Because he had to be. Because Gabriel Davis took a step back. And you guys listening to the pod know how much I love Gabriel Davis. I've been following him ever since he was at UCF. Great wide receiver. Great number two in that offense. But last season, he just took a step back. You know, some people, honestly, only remember Gabriel Davis when he had those four touchdowns in that game against Kansas City in the playoffs. Racked up over 200 yards. And could you only have imagined if if Buffalo could have won that game? So internally, Buffalo has some things that they need to figure out. Externally, Bills fans are waiting for the day in which they can finally say that the Lombardi is heading back to Buffalo. So a lot will be riding on this season, I believe. Because Buffalo has to look inside to figure out how can they best address the problem that they're currently facing. Because it's not going anywhere. Until Stefan Diggs feels as though his voice is being properly heard in that offense, he's not going to keep quiet about it. And the funny thing about keeping quiet, now that I just brought that up, when guys post those cryptic messages on social media, if you're going to go to social media with something like that, why not just go ahead and spew it out altogether? You're sitting up there posting cryptic messages like, I don't let people throw dirt on my name, or I don't let people talk shit about me. Dude. If you're going to bring it to social media, then damn it, bring it. Bring it all. You know, I I, I don't understand that. It's like you've given us a preview of common attractions. Where you basically say, stay tuned, I got missed. Or you can be a grown-up about the situation and don't bring it to social media at all. Handle it with your team. Handle it with with whomever you have a problem with. That's the best way to do it. You know, even when I was younger and people that I went to school with, they were used to bring all their drama to social media. I would used to think to myself, how childish can you be with this crap? What does bringing your mess to social media do for either party? The only thing it does is it allows people to comment on a situation that they should not be privy to because they should have no business being in your mess, in your drama. 
And when Stefan Diggs last week, when he missed camp and he posted those cryptic messages on IG, that's what allowed people to speculate as to the reason why he wasn't at camp. Now, it was reported, I'll give him this, that he did meet with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean and he was there for his physical. But if you were there then, why didn't you address the issue then? Then McDermott comes out and says that he's very concerned. And then the next day when you show up to camp again, he comes out and talks to the media and says that the problem has been resolved. Obviously not. Because one of the things that I find very hard to believe, but I think that it is actually true, is that obviously they had to have known. I'm talking about the higher-ups within the Bills organization. They had to have known that Stephon Diggs was starting to feel some type of way about the offense. Because when you're on the sideline yelling at your quarterback, something's wrong. So obviously you had to know. So what happens? Sean McDermott stands in front of the team after they lose to Cincinnati, tells everybody it's been a great season, but ultimately it fell short. He gives the little half-hearted team statement, then goes in front of the media, and everybody pretends that everything's fine. We just came up a little bit short. We'll try again next year. Then everybody goes on vacation, spends time with their family, and then comes back to training camp or mini camp for 2023 and acts like the problem just left or act like the problem was left in that game against Cincinnati. It's not the way it works. Stefan Diggs has been holding on to this all off season, been waiting to come back and spew this out. So Buffalo's going to have to figure out how will this reverberate amongst the walls of their facility as we near the 2023 season, the start of it at least. Because you don't want to have a disgruntled wide receiver heading into the season because that causes more problems than what you're willing to admit. So you just hope that something can come as far as this situation being rectified somewhere in the near future. Speaking of a situation that doesn't appear to be anywhere near being rectified in the near future. I'm talking about Zion Williamson and his situation in New Orleans. So, of course, by now, I'm pretty sure we've all heard about Zion and the different situations that he's been involved with off the court involving Mariah Mills. And now after she comes forward, other girls have started to come forward. So it's just this whole thing. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. That has taken on a life of its own, so to speak. So over the weekend, there was a report that came out. And it started to grow legs as we entered into this week. And the report basically states that Zion Williamson, at this point, no longer has a relationship with the Pelicans organization. And let me read to you a quote that Brian Windhorst gave on ESPN. And I quote, there's no relationship between Zion and the organization. 
and minimal relationship between Zion and his teammates, from what I understand. End of quote. Now, this all stems from the thing involving Zion Williamson and Mariah Mills, and it also comes as the Pelicans have been floating out this, or reports, rather, have been floating out that the Pelicans would be interested in entertaining trade requests for Zion Williamson. So you think about this for a second. If the Pelicans truly want to move off of Zion Williamson, the report last week that came out that I touched on was that the Pelicans wanted to look into acquiring Scoot Henderson, who's going to be one of the highest drafted players in tomorrow night's NBA draft. That report came and went. According to people that's familiar with the Pelicans organization, that wasn't a true report. It had to be true at some point if you wanted to entertain it. If you're the Pelicans at this point, the only thing that you ever truly hoped that you could have gotten out of Zion Williamson was for him to have the opportunity to take your team to the same heights that Anthony Davis took the team to during his time down in New Orleans. And it feels as though the more and more we learn about this situation as it unfolds, as it pertains to Zion Williamson, the more and more damaging it feels it is starting to cause in this relationship amongst the two of them, between Zion and the Pels organization. The problem that I'm having is that we're starting to familiarize ourselves when it pertains to Zion Williamson more with the fact that these off the field issues or these off the court issues are happening. And we're not talking about him as far as what he can do on the basketball court. And that's starting to become problematic because this is, and I'll say this and sorry if this is sporadic. When I think about this, the Pelicans only have two choices. The Pelicans have to sit down with Zion and figure out a way how to move forward or you have to do what's in the best interest of your team, and by that, you have to look into moving him elsewhere. Those are the only two, pro- two real-life scenarios that you have if you're the Pelicans. Now, a lot of Pels fans would tell you that they're willing to work things out with Zion because they feel as though he's a transcendent talent. That's number one. But you also have those Pelican fans that were never really bought into Zion to begin with. And now that this situation has come out, that gives them even more ammunition to use in their belief that Zion may not be the guy that New Orleans needs to reach their long-term goals. And I brought this up a couple of episodes ago. Everybody, when they talk about Zion, they always talk about the fact of how he can give you over 20 points a game and how he shoots from 60% from the field. That's all fine and dandy. Can't take that away from him. But the one thing that I can counter with is that, of course, he has those great statistical numbers because, hell, he doesn't play that much. So you're not really getting a large sample size of what Zion can do for an entirety of a season. And how much. And just think about this for a second. How much do you think? that what Zion has been through these past couple of weeks, how much do you think that that has affected team chemistry? Now, I know that the Pelicans, they're all off. They're having their offseason. They're doing whatever they want to do as far as offseason is concerned. So they're not doing anything team-oriented right now except the front office is getting ready for the draft tomorrow. Besides that, there is nothing else basketball-wise that's taking place in New Orleans as it pertains to the Pels. But if you just go ask some of his teammates, the Brandon Ingrams, C.J. McCollums, if you go ask those guys, 
how do they truthfully feel about Zion and everything that this situation has brought out? They would tell you that, of course, it's a distraction and that he should be prioritizing making it back onto the basketball court, helping us with our goal of potentially winning a championship and becoming a father later on this year as well. Those should be the only two things that he should be focused on right now. Let me also read to you another quote that I found. This comes from Ian Begley of SNY TV about this situation. And I quote, high-ranking members of the organization have been dismayed by recent off-court developments around Williamson. As other outlets have noted, the organization recently fired assistant coach Teresa Witherspoon, a Naismith Hall of Famer who was instrumental in the development of several young Pelicans, including Williamson. Those reading the tea leaves may surmise that Williamson's firing or Witherspoon's firing was related to the team's issues with Williamson. Makes sense, right? So where do we go from here if you're looking at this situation? Where do we go? That all depends on what David Griffin and the Pels brass want to do here. Because I've given you the two options that you can have in addressing this situation. You either sit down with him or you decide that it would be in the best interest of both parties for a fresh start to be made. Only two realistic options that you have. Because one thing about Zion is that (laughs) the one thing about this situation rather is that the more and more Mariah Mills talks, the more and more damaging information she claims to have. Which is arguably why her Twitter account was suspended yesterday. And this is something else I wanted to bring up. Because you have this situation going on with Zion, and you also have the situation going on down in Miami right now with Tyreek Hill accused of assaulting a worker at a marina as he was trying to get on a boat without proper permission isn't it funny and just just bear with me here isn't it funny that when athletes finally make it they tell young kids who are trying to get into that same position that when you get this money or when you get this level of fame or this level of notoriety you can't let anything or anyone squander your accomplishments. And then what do these guys go out and do? They do the exact same thing that they tell young kids not to do. Don't squander your opportunity, but yet it feels as though every single step of the way now, these athletes are squandering their opportunities. If it's not Ja, it's Zion, Tyreek Hill. I mean, so you guys basically aren't even listening to your own advice. And now... If you're the Pelicans, maybe it should be in your best interest to find a trade partner so that you can get rid of Zion and get a fresh start because that's obviously what the team would need. So we'll see what happens in New Orleans because it's going to be a very interesting couple of days for them and a very interesting remainder of their offseason as well. So let's shift gears. Let's go from the world of the NBA to the world of college football. Nick Saban, head football coach 
at the University of Alabama, and some may even go as far as to say he's the de facto commissioner of the Southeastern Conference. Greg Sankey is just there for appearances sake. That's just how some people think about it. So Nick Saban has been very adamant about his displeasure as it pertains to the fact that Alabama missed out on making the college football playoff last season. So for those of you that have been on vacation from college football, or for those of you that may not be familiar with the situation, Alabama loses two games last season, one to Tennessee, one to LSU. And by virtue, they miss out on a chance to play for the SEC championship. They also miss out on a chance to go to the college football playoff. They go on to a bowl game and they play K-State, which they win. Bryce Young's final game in an Alabama uniform. So this happens. And Nick Saban feels as though Alabama should have been one of the four teams that should have made the playoff. Now, once again, for a reminder, the four teams that made it, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, Ohio State. TCU takes out Michigan. Georgia takes out Ohio State, and that set up what became a bloodbath of a national championship because it felt like from the opening kick onward, everybody knew Georgia was going to win that game. I mean, even TCU fans had to feel as though they knew that Georgia was going to win that game. But let me get back to the point at hand. Nick Saban has been griping about a lot of things as of late. If it's not NIL, he's upset about. He's also upset about college football and the playoff. He's also upset about the SEC wanting to use a nine-game model instead of keeping with the eight-game model. So it feels as though a lot of things are starting to irk old man Saban. So recently, he did a sit-down interview with Joel Klatt of Fox Sports. And he talked about his dissatisfaction as it pertains to Alabama not making the college football playoff last season. And let me read to you what he told Joel Klatt. And I quote, all we do is take the teams that win the most games at the end of the year, put them in the playoffs. But do we really get the best teams? When they told me that we would be favored against three of the four teams that got into the playoff, I'm like, why aren't we in the playoffs? End the quote. So, of course, we all know the three teams that Alabama would have been favored against, Ohio State, TCU, and Michigan. If they would have made it all the way and would have played Georgia, that game possibly could have went to a pick because it would have been anybody's game to win or lose. So Saban is basically looking at this from Vegas' perspective. Vegas told him, or people have told him, that Vegas felt that if Alabama would have made the playoff, they would have been easily favored in three of the four possible matchups that they could have been a part of. But that's not the way college football works. That's not the way this thing is calculated at the end of the season. And remember, this isn't the first time that Nick Saban has had some kind of gripe about the college football playoff. Let's go back to 2019 for a second. LSU has their historical year with Joe Burrow and company. By way, they make the SEC championship game and play Georgia. Also, this was another year in which Alabama loses to LSU. At home in Tuscaloosa, might I add. And Nick Saban is feeling some type of way about that because he felt like they should have got in there. If I remember correctly, the four teams that year 
where LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. Those were the four teams. And Nick Saban felt as though they should have been in in 2019, and he feels the same way now in 2023, looking back on 2022. Now, of course, I've had my different gripes with Nick Saban about a multitude of issues. But this is the one that I feel that should have been left for dead a long time ago. Nick, you have a fresh opportunity in 2023 to prove to the committee why you guys should be in the college football playoff for this upcoming season. If we're always led to believe that we should be looking in front of us instead of behind us, then why is Nick Saban always continuing to bring up things from the past? Now, as long as Nick Saban and Alabama were dominating college football, you never heard Nick Saban have any type of gripe with the BCS system and early on with the college football playoff system. But only when it started to become very apparent that he no longer dominated the sport, that's when he has a problem with every damn thing. Now, when college football programs were paying players under the table, Nick Saban had no problem with that structure. But only until it started to come out that NIL was going to change the landscape in which players would be able to be recruited and then paid, that's when Nick Saban started to have a problem with that model. But as long as we were paying players under the table, coaches like Nick Saban had no problem with that. But now we find ourselves in a problem. Listen, it doesn't matter. I've said this on several different occasions. I said it doesn't matter if you have a 14 playoff, an 18 playoff, a 16 team playoff. Hell, you can put all 130 Division I programs in the playoff and there will be somebody out there that will still find some kind of way to be dissatisfied with the outcome. This is the last season in which a 14 playoff will be implemented. Next season, we go to the eight, eight game, 18 playoff. And you're going to find somebody that's going to be mad about that. We need to up the number to 16. If it goes to 16, you're going to have somebody upset about that. Listen, you have one obligation in the regular season if you're one of these teams that's trying to make it to the playoff. Handle your business in season. That's it. That's all. Handle your business in season. Every game Alabama walks into, they're always either slight favorites or they're heavy favorites. There's rarely been times during Nick Saban's tenure at Alabama that they've not been favored. Every game they walk into, they're heavily favored. Now, I'm not too sure about the line for that 2019 game that they played at LSU I would have to go look at that again but mostly every game that Alabama finds themselves in they're favored so what's the what's the point here that was last year that was last year Nick you guys didn't make the playoff because you guys didn't handle your business and then this is something else that people are starting to piss me off with they bring up the fact in which those two losses to Tennessee and LSU were by a combined, what is it, three, four, five points? But let's think about their season in a whole. Barely got past Texas, barely got past AM, barely got past Ole Miss, 
And then when you factor in the two losses, Tennessee and LSU, Alabama could have instantly been a 6-6 six and six team last year. That's just how close the margins can swing back and forth. Just think about that for a second. Now, of course, they finished the regular season 11 and 2. But they easily could have been a 6 and 6 regular season team. Because if that game in Austin in week 2, if that game would have swung in favor of Texas, now that would have been another story entirely. Because if Quinn Ewers didn't get hurt, and with the way that Texas was moving the ball in the first half, that game could have instantly went the other way. But that's not the conversation that we're having. See, Nick's problem is that he's starting to realize that his grip on the sport is starting to become loosened. And now he's starting to see Kirby implement his strategy over in Georgia, and it's working out for them because now they're the defending back-to-back national champs. And they have the opportunity for the first time in over 80 years to become the first team to three-peat. Listen, there's been some bumpy rolls up in Clemson, but you don't hear Dabo coming out saying that they felt cheated out of a spot in the playoff. Dabo understands that they lost to South Carolina, and he understands that their resume was quite shaky. They barely escaped Wake Forest. You don't hear Dabo coming out saying that he felt cheated. Lincoln Riley at SC. Now, I've had my different gripes about Lincoln Riley and SC, but you don't hear him coming out saying that they felt cheated. You lost to Utah. So that's the problem. So all I'm saying is this. 2023 provides a fresh opportunity for the Alabama Crimson Tide to make it back to the college football playoff. Because if you look at the odds on favor to win the national championship, Alabama's in the top five. They're right behind Georgia. That's where we're at. And the thing is, is that even when you tell Nick Saban that they're favorites to win the national championship for this upcoming season, he still brings the conversation back to last year. What good is bringing up the past if it's not going to help with the future? So all I'm saying is that Nick's focus should be on 2023. His focus should really be on trying to find a quarterback. That's where it should be. Because the quarterback situation right now is the shakiest part of Alabama's roster. We don't know if it's going to be Tyler Buckner. We don't know if it's going to be Ty Simpson. We don't know if it's going to be Jalen Monroe. Figure out things on your team internally first. Because bringing up 2022 isn't going to let us go back and change the result. Because you should have taken care of business in season. Now, if you didn't lose to Tennessee and if you only lost to LSU by maybe two or three points, then maybe the committee would have put you in. But the committee was faced with a task, and that task was to put the four best teams in the country in the playoff. Now, have they gotten it wrong before? Of course they have. It's been several times that they've gotten it wrong. Go all the way back to 2016. Washington wins the Pac-12, and they make the playoff, and look at what happened to them when they played Alabama in, what was it, the Peach Bowl? And then look at it a couple of years after that. Cincinnati makes the playoff and they play Alabama. Look at what happens to them. Now, have there been teams in the playoff that shouldn't be there? Yes. But did their regular season warrant them to be there? Of course. 
So it's like you're in a no-win situation when it comes to the playoff committee having to pick the four best teams in the country. That's a very hard ask. Because at least in the NFL, you have 32 teams, and at the end of the season, eight of them from both conferences make the playoffs. You don't have that in college football. You have over 130 Division I programs. So it's going to be kind of hard to weasel out the top programs every single year. Because you may have a school in eastern Illinois that may go 12-0, and 0, but their season's going to go unnoticed because they don't play anybody significant. Whereas you have an Alabama that could go 12-0, and 0, of course they're making the playoff. So if you're Nick Saban, you have to be lock solid, laser focused on the future instead of looking back into 2022 because that's not going to do you any good right now. It's going to be an uphill battle every single year for the committee to pick the four best teams because there's always going to be some kind of squabbling amongst the teams that felt like they should have gotten in. And those are my thoughts on that. So let's switch gears. Let's go back to the NBA for a second. Jalen Brown. Now, of course, I've been documenting for the past few months now Jalen Brown's relationship with the Boston Celtics. And I've even told you on several different occasions that Jalen Brown, to me, if I was him, I would be doing everything in my power to get out of Boston because they've not really shown me any of the loyalty that they've shown to Jason Tatum because they feel as though he's better than me. So why should I give them any more of my loyalty if they're not giving me any loyalty? That goes back to the conversation that we had earlier in opening thoughts. So all signs now are pointing to the Boston Celtics not being in the market of trying to trade Jalen Brown, but now they want to sign him to the Supermax, which would be five years at $295 million. So let me put this into perspective. That would now mean that the Boston Celtics would be paying both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown nearly $60 million a year when Jason Tatum is up for his extension. Think about how much of a, a situation that puts you in if you're Boston. Think about it for a second. If you're Boston and you have two guys on your team that Honestly, and listen, I love Jalen Brown. I'm a big fan, but I have to call it like I see it. When you think about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum together, neither one of those guys have really shown you that they can be the alpha that can take over a team when you need to the most. But see, the problem happens to come in if you're Jason Tatum is that you always say that you model your game after Kobe. And we know that Kobe would have taken that mantle instantly and he would have propelled the Boston Celtics to a championship by now. We know that about Kobe. Jason Tatum has yet to do that. So if you're the Celtics, you're sitting around and you're wondering to yourself, okay, you guys, we now have you under contract. Both of you guys super max. So now we need you to deliver super max results. And that's going to be the conversation that's going to be had by Celtics fans for years to come. Okay, both guys have their money. Now can they deliver to the city of Boston another championship? Because playing for the Boston Celtics, That's all that those fans care about. Can you bring us another banner to raise into the Raptors here at TD Garden? Because if you can't do that, then your time there is an abhorrent failure. I had to find a new word. I've used abhorrent enough today. So I'm not opposed to Jalen Brown getting the Supermax. In matter of fact, I thought that if he would have gone to another team, that's potentially what they would have given him anyway. So Jalen Brown will now remain 
for the foreseeable future, or at least for the next five years if they get this done, a member of the Boston Celtics. Okay, it's time to quickly run through the SEC schedule for the 2024 campaign. We did Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama, and Arkansas on Monday's episode. So now we're just going to continue to go down the list with our next four schools on the list from the SEC. So let's get started with Auburn. So this will be their home opponents in 2024. Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and Vanderbilt. Sounds very challenging, right? Because you have Arkansas coming in and you have Oklahoma and Texas A&M. So Hugh Freeze is going to have to continue his capitalization on using the transfer portal not only in 2023, but in 2024 if they want to keep up in the SEC. And they're going to have to have a very strong recruiting class, I feel, to keep up with those teams that I've just listed. Next, for their away opponents, Georgia, Alabama, Kentucky, Missouri. Now, of course, we can sit here and say that we familiarized ourselves with the fact that the SEC every single year gives Auburn a very tough schedule, and that doesn't change. But now, I even mentioned this on Monday, the SEC has given everybody a tough schedule because this is what you wanted, so now this is what you get. So if you really wanted me to give a rating, 1 out of 10, for the difficulty of Auburn's 2024 SEC schedule, I would have to give it a seven and a half out of 10. It's doable, but there's going to be some games on there that's going to cause some Auburn fans to lose hope. And there's also going to be some games on there that's going to cause them to gain hope. So take that how you may. Next up, we have Florida. So here's Florida's home opponents, Texas A&M, LSU, Ole Miss, Kentucky. They're away opponents. Tennessee, Texas, Mississippi State. And their neutral site game, of course, is against Georgia down in Jacksonville. You know, when I think of Florida's schedule, I think of I think of it in two ways. First of all, I think of it how can they navigate this schedule? Because let's let's admit, Florida's not the same school that they used to be a couple of years ago. Now Billy Napier has started to catch fire or lightning in a bottle, as they say, as it pertains to the transfer portal, bringing in guys in future recruiting classes, so that he has that working for him. But other than that, can they keep pace in the SEC East? It's the biggest question. Georgia, here are their home opponents for 2024. Tennessee, Auburn, Mississippi State. Their away opponents, Texas, Alabama, Ole Miss, and Kentucky. And, of course, their neutral site game is against Florida. For everybody that's been complaining about Georgia's schedule in 2023, the SEC said, hold our beard, we'll make sure we give them a harder one in 2024. Dylan Rayola is coming in. Carson Beck is the quarterback there. I don't believe that Georgia's going to have a stumble in 2024, but I believe that their road to getting back to the national championship by virtue of getting into the college football playoff will be a little bit difficult. And any team that makes it out of the SEC to make it to the playoff, their road to get there will be difficult. But once again, that could be easily solved now that you have an 18 playoff in effect. Final school that we're going to take a look at today, Kentucky. Their home opponents, Auburn, Georgia, Vanderbilt, South Carolina. Their away opponents, Texas, Florida, Ole Miss, Tennessee. Mark Stoops, once again, has a tall task in front of him. But if you're a Kentucky This is where you can separate yourself away from the rest of the big boys in the SEC. The only thing that Kentucky really 
prides themselves on as far as football is concerned is just making it to a bowl game. Because for them, making the college football playoff is not something that's in their right now plans. Because as long as the basketball team can continue their stride under John Calipari, then that's all that matters. But if you're Kentucky football and if you're Mark Stoops, you can just sit back and say, hey, as long as we put together a very formidable season, then that's all these fans are really looking for anyway. So Kentucky Kentucky has to have a 7-5 and five season, 8-4, and 9-3, somewhere in there. It's a tall task, but as long as they have a winning season and as long as the basketball team holds up their end of the bargain, then that's the way Kentucky operates in a nutshell as it pertains to their two more profitable athletic teams on campus. And that was a very quick look at the 2024 SEC opponents for four more SEC schools. Now it is time for key games for NFL week number 17. We're into that kind of crux period of this. We only have two more weeks to preview that 17 and 18. I'll go ahead and tell you, There's nothing really special about week 18 for me because I'll go ahead and tell you what week 18 games I'm looking forward to. I I wrote this down on my paper. All games involving teams that are in the playoffs and teams that are trying to get into the playoffs. That's basically all NFL week number 18 is. It's a way for us to determine which teams are still trying to get into the playoffs, which teams are trying to lock up their seating, and which teams are going to go ahead and have an early start to their offseason. That's basically all. All week number 18 is in the NFL. So with that being said, let me go ahead and give you my key week 17 games. I have the Jets traveling to Cleveland to take on the Browns. This could be a very interesting late season game as both teams may be trying to position themselves for better seating in the playoffs. Or if you think the Cleveland Browns are going to regress again this season, this may be an opportunity for us to learn whether or not Kevin Stefanski will return as head coach. Next up. I have the Lions traveling down to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Could be an early playoff preview because I believe that these are two teams that have very interesting chances of making the playoffs. If you're Dallas, of course, everybody wants you to win the playoffs and their fan base will tell you as such. And if you're Detroit, we all expect great things from them this season because a lot of people are bought into Dan Campbell and what he's building up there in the Motor City. Next up, I have the Chargers traveling to Denver to take on the Broncos. I'll just say this. This game really hinges on what both teams do early on at the beginning of the year. Because if Denver come out of the gates hot and start to cool off the same way that the Chargers seem to do every single year, then this game may not have any impact on Week 17. But if both teams can remain hot throughout the course of the season, then you may have something here. Next up. I have the Dolphins traveling to Buffalo to take on the Bills once again. This could be setting the stage for who potentially could win the AFC East because a lot of people are predicting that it's going to be Miami and Buffalo up there fighting it out every single week in those top two spots to see who can overtake the other to win that division. Very vital this year. Remember, for all the reasons that I spoke about earlier in the show today about Buffalo. Next up, I have the Rams traveling to East Rutherford to take on the Giants. If you're the Giants, you should be positioning yourself to be in the playoffs. And if you're the Rams, week 17 will just show us how great the rebuild has gone or how bad it fell off the rails. Next up, 
I talked about this game on Monday, so you should already know this one. The Cincinnati Bengals travels down to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Can Joe Burrow and company extend their record against Patrick Mahomes to 4-1, and one, or will Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs bring that record even closer to 3-2? and two? Now, I like both teams. I think both teams have very interesting shots to make it to the Super Bowl this season, but of course, one will have to eliminate the other if they were to meet in the playoffs. I believe that this could have also been one of the games that you could have held on opening night for the Chiefs as they unveil another Super Bowl banner because both teams will be at their healthiest point all season long. So I think the NFL missed an opportunity to schedule that game earlier than what they originally have scheduled it now for Week 17. Next up, I have the Carolina Panthers traveling to Jacksonville to take on the Jags. Bryce Young against Trevor Lawrence. That should be a very fun matchup. Both teams should be... In the thick of things, you know, you have, you know, I, I heard this yesterday. You have some people who actually believe that the Carolina Panthers are the best team in the NFC South. If that's the case, then the Saints going out getting Derek Carr was for what? To finish second or third? I think that the Saints right now, with everything that they have offensively and defensively, they're the best team in the NFC South. Because it feels as though the Buccaneers, when Tom Brady left, it felt like a lot of what they did well in those few seasons he was there left too. So I'm, I honestly think that the Saints will finish first in that division. A little bit too early to be giving out predictions, record predictions, but never too early to start something, right? Next up, I have the Raiders traveling to Indianapolis to take on the Colts. As I sit here right now, I honestly don't know why I picked this game. Because Indianapolis, we're not, we shouldn't be expecting Indianapolis to be in the playoffs this season anyway. If Anthony Richardson wins the starting job, which I think he will, six, seven, eight, nine wins would be the limit, in my opinion, for what Indianapolis can do. Because Anthony Richardson is still going to be learning the offense. He's still going to be growing as a quarterback. So I'm not really expecting big things from Indy this season but for the Raiders I think it's a big year for Josh McDaniels it's a big year for Dave Ziegler in that front office because it's time to see can all of the moves they've made will it pan out and finally I have the Green Bay Packers traveling to Minneapolis to take on the Vikings this also should have implications on the playoffs because if you're Green Bay nobody's expecting you guys to go to the playoffs anyway and if you're Minnesota everybody is expecting you guys to go again. And not just go and flame out in the first round, but go and actually make some noise when you get there. You have one of the more talented wide receivers in the NFL and Justin Jefferson on your roster, and yet you guys are always bounced the first weekend anyway. So can Jordan Love and company go into U.S. Bank Stadium and pull the upset? That's going to be something to keep our eyes out on. And those were my key games for NFL week number 17. Okay. So before we get out, it is time for my final verdict. And this was actually something that I've wanted to discuss months ago, but I didn't get a chance to get around to it. But it is the offseason for a multitude of sports. So there's nothing really to dive deeper into to close out a show. So there's been this continued discussion about a very pressing issue in the NBA. And this issue has caused a lot of people to show their loyalty to one player and to show how much they really don't like one player. And I'm talking about LeBron James. 
So the question that has been posed by a lot of people is that should Le- should LeBron James get a statue outside of Staples Center when he retires? Now, most of the greats who've played for the Lakers have a statue outside Staples, with the only exception being Kobe Bryant, and I feel that that's coming sooner rather than later. Kobe will get his statue outside. If you look at what LeBron has done for the Lakers, should it warrant him to receive a statue? That's the question. And the answer to that for me would happen to be no. Yes, LeBron did bring them a championship. You can't take that away from him. But also, we know that LeBron will not spend the bulk of his career in L.A. LeBron was not drafted by L.A. And when you think about it, if someone asked you to name the top five Lakers of all time, LeBron will will not be in that conversation. Because there have been so many greats that have put on a Laker uniform that LeBron may fall six, seven, even further down the list than that. Now, is LeBron an all-time great? Nobody's refuting that notion. LeBron is an all-time great. Some people say he's the GOAT. Some people say he's behind Jordan. Wherever he falls on your GOAT list, that's where he's at. But I don't think that even with the championship that he brought to L.A. in 2020 in the Orlando bubble, I still don't think that that should warrant him receiving a statue. And me personally, this is just something that I want to add to the conversation. I'm not a big statue person, honestly. You know, the only time that I've ever been a fan of statues or things of that nature was Monument Park at Yankee Stadium. Like, other than that, I'm not a real big statue person. Jordan has a statue outside of United Center, and Jordan barely goes to Chicago for anything that's involving the Bulls because of the way things ended with him and Jerry Krause and how Jerry Krause dismantled that team after they won their sixth championship. So for me, I don't believe that LeBron deserves a statue outside of Staples Center or the Crypt, as it's called. But at the end of the day, that's a decision that Jeannie Buss and her family will have to make for the city, for the team, and for everyone associated with the Lakers. You can't take away the fact that he's an all-time great. Not refuting that. But statues are reserved for people who've left a lasting impact on a team, on an organization. When LeBron retires, of course his impact will be felt in the L.A. area because he's going to remain a vibrant figure in the L.A. market. But at the same time, many of us are going to remember his Cleveland years and what he did in Miami. Because if LeBron doesn't win another championship in L.A., the one championship that he did win will become an afterthought after more and more teams following 2020 start to build their teams and win titles. All-time great indeed. But statue... I'm not on board with. And that's going to conclude today's episode of Sports Court. Once again, thank you so much for listening. We will be right back here again on Friday with another brand new episode. We're going to recap the NBA draft. I'm going to give you what to watch for for the upcoming weekend of sports action. And we're going to dive once again into the SEC's 2024 conference schedule. But until then, have a great rest of your Wednesday. Have an amazing Thursday. Enjoy the draft. Stay safe. Take care. And God bless.